The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, Nick Nanavati, and this week we are once again joined by a guest we had on, on uh, last time in 9th edition, Aiden Smalley. Aiden, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Cheers for having us on. <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> um, for those of you who maybe not have listened to that episode before or aren't familiar with Aiden, he is a monster, and he's a monster who plays with Death Guard. That's right. In ninth edition, he was going undefeated with Death Guard. In tenth edition, when it's even harder, he's going undefeated with Death Guard. No one really understands how. It's kind of one of those like eight miracles of the world or something. So we're here to unpack it. We're going to get to know Aiden in part one. We're going to spend. A uh, good 30, 40 minutes unpacking why he's married to this faction, how he can somehow turn literal trash into gold over there, especially <laughs> in like the unnerved Wraith Knight meta. Like, what even is this? So, I'm super excited to see, figure out like what kind of masochist loves the Death Guard this much and then makes it work. And then in part two, this is going to be for subscribers, patrons, people who support this podcast. That's on AOW40K.com. It's $5.95 per month. Super easy. You get access to all of the part twos. And in part two of this specific episode, we are going to talk about the Death Guard list in detail. We're going to break down the actual tactics, the placements, how he won his games in real life with Death Guard. I'm super interested in this topic because I did not think this was a possible feat. And Aiden, you are you are a god amongst men over here. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I think I'm a bit in, as much in shock as you. I didn't think it'd be something that'd be happening. I went to this event with the goals of like, hey, if I get two wins, I'll be I'll be happy with that. I'll take that. <laughs> and then, yeah, this happened. <laughs> so you had you had realistic expectations going in. <laughs> Honestly, I, I literally earlier in the week because obviously the meta's not in the greatest place and whatnot, especially for Death Guard. I, I rang the people who were running the event, and, and it was the day for deadline for refunds. And I was like, can I get a refund? He was like, oh, no, this is the cutoff date, so you'd have to ask yesterday. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll just come then. I might as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's more funny how the world works like that. Oh, my God. So yeah. let's talk about you for a minute. How did you get into Warhammer? Um, okay, so... Full full story is twelve year old me walked into a shop with my mum back when I was a kid, and I bought some. I'm gonna throw up when I say this. I bought some fire warriors. Um, we won't we won't talk about that. <laughs> and then I built them. I didn't have any idea about the game at that point or anything like that. Went home, built the models, made little pew pew noises with them, and then my sister came home from school one day in a mood as a teenage girl, threw her bag on the desk and crushed all my models. <laughs> that was a great start. <laughs> yep, great start to the hobby. So then it completely went out of my head until I was in university, at which point um, I, I got a mini wargaming YouTube recommendation just out of the blue because I'm sort of into nerdy stuff, to, you know, for like a, a narrative battle report. And uh, I just started watching it. And one of my friends was like, hey, what are you up to? I was like, I'm oh, watching this thing. Yeah. And he was, was like, what is it? I was like, oh, it's called Warhammer 40. He came. He's like, oh my God, you like Warhammer? I was like, I I mean, it's interesting. He's like, right, we're going to Games Workshop. <laughs> and he took me there. And uh, unfortunately, that's where the addiction began. <laughs> that's awesome. So basically, you just got into it kind of like everybody does when they're young and then uh, just like gets rediscovered as you're older. That's cool. How did you yeah. start getting competitive with it? Um, so I didn't really understand. Like, I didn't even know there was like a tournament scene or anything for a long time. Um, I was just sort of going to beginner nights at Games Workshop, and then they decided to launch like a like a sort of like a league. It was obviously very casual compared to like probably what you guys are all used to on here and stuff. But I started going to that, 
But then, because it started getting a lot of people, and it was a decent little night out for fun, some people that actually attend proper events and stuff started coming just to have fun with, you know, more daft lists. And obviously, as I started interacting with them and talking about them, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's actually this this entire, like, scene of tournament. And, I mean, these people were, were caving my head in every time we played. <laughs> it wasn't pretty at first. But It never starts pretty. Like That's no. one thing I've noticed with all these interviews I've done over the years. It's like, everyone starts off pretty bad at this game. Yeah. But it, it didn't bother me. Like I, I kind of enjoyed it. That sounds weird. <laughs> I don't mean that. It explains um, why you're a Death Guard player. I mean, yeah, that is true, yeah. Um, but I, I don't know, it was something about it, because every time uh, they, they'd come in and, and beat me, maybe I'd scrap, you know, five points close from the difference or something like that, or I wouldn't get tabled one turn as early. Um, and I just kind of enjoyed getting to the point where I sort of, like, almost started having to, you know, managing to have a proper game with them. Um, so we flash forward, we started um, our own sort of, like, club night at a different, at a nearby shop, um, which we hired out. And from there, we kind of just started getting into competitive uh, ideas more, more more competitive games and then i got convinced to go to a tournament in bolton with my friends and i went along to the tournament and yeah that's again <laughs> that's where it all began i went to my first tournament i got free two with death guard um when it was the you know the gray knight grandmaster nemesis dread nightmare thing when they just come out and um i just i just had a blast everyone was dead nice even the people that i said uh, like beat me no one was rude like Obviously, I think there's this strange perception from outside the competitive community that they're all toxic, try-hard, win-at-all-costs, and it's just not at all. Um, now, don't get me wrong, there are probably individuals that are like that, but that was not the experience I had. I had people coming back to me saying, hey, if you ever want to try it, because obviously I was playing Death Guard, they were like, hey, you seem pretty decent at this game. If you ever want to try a real army out, let us know and you can borrow it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, just to back it up right there, not to cut off your story, I totally agree, though. Like, you know, there are the rotten eggs, but, like, most of the eggs are pretty good. It's a good scene. We all say, like, constantly, the community is why we do this. We don't like crappy communities, you know? Like, this is a great way to get into the game. Yeah, and especially since it's, it's quite a small Like, obviously, it's large. It is a global community, but in reality, it's quite small. Like, so you start to really learn names especially in the uk where everyone can get to every event you know with a two-hour drive at best um you really do start to really know people and you see them at the next event you're like oh it's you and it, yeah it just kind of built from there and i just started to really enjoy it i wasn't even thinking too much about results at that point it was just a fun day out with five games of warhammer yeah absolutely so i mean that that makes perfect sense like you're just chilling having fun playing warhammer you will do it more and then you'll get better over time so i guess that's kind of your elevation path yeah and like as i said as i kept playing um started to understand like who the who the people were just coming into like my first idea was like just go have five games you have those kind of people you have the people that are obviously going to try and get the best results they can and i've interacting with them i decided hey you know i'm going to start trying to push and maybe trying to do as best i can and trying to refine sort of like how i play etc and that yeah at that point i was basically full in the rabbit hole and because we have our own club i so i don't usually attend an event alone i'll always go with two or three people and it's kind of become like a field like a field trip out for everyone <laughs> so what is what does it getting better at warhammer actually mean to you like at this point in your warhammer career because you're playing death guard i presume and your army leaves a lot to be desired and you're you got to make the most of this through tactical nuances so how do you practice those skills and what do you look for as you're trying to get better um so i think there's two aspects to it really one there's getting better as a person and one there's because um I'll get into that in a second. But and the other one is obviously trying to get better at like the strategy, the game, the decision making. So 
obviously looking for where, even if you get the win, trying to look back where you could have, you know, maybe didn't, that CP wasn't spent very efficiently. It was daft to put that unit where it was. Maybe I could have blocked off this angle better. Maybe I could have done this pregame move with the cultists to have dominated this side of the board earlier. Um, all these kind of decisions and then sort of like how that impacts the opponent you're facing. So, you know, do I need to change my play style when I'm facing, let's say, obviously, Custodes versus Eldar, it's two very different beasts. How do you approach them differently? Where should Mortarion be? Where should stuff come in? From, should a strat reserve that? There's lots of different questions that I'm always trying to sort of like ask. And I don't think I've never, I've always said I've never played a perfect game. I've never sat there after a game and been like, there, I have played that perfect. There's always mistakes. There's always things to learn from. And that's me sort of improving as like a, as like a skill level player, I think. No, I love it. I think that's a phenomenal answer. Like one of the best answers I've ever heard to that question. Uh, really good. And it makes and perfect it, sense. A lot of people, I think, just put Mortarion on the front line and be like, ah, full speed ahead. But no, the way you use him versus Eldar has to be different to the way you use it playing against Custodes. Great example. So I'm super excited to get on into it, but I cut you off, so I'll let you It's going. okay. It's all right. But and yeah, and as the aspect of becoming better as a player, like, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm still a human. And sometimes you, you, we have all had them games where, the, you know, you, you feel like the dice are betraying you. You feel like something's going wrong. And so, and not so much anymore, but there was a stage, especially when I was first in the tournament scene, I could get a little salty, a little bit, not towards my opponent necessarily, but then I started realizing that's having an effect on my opponent. He's not enjoying it as much. And then I'm obviously having a negative you know, impact on the gameplay experience. So it's up to me to sort of learn how to roll with those games and sometimes just accept it that it is, at the end of the day, toy soldiers. Because it's not something we want to talk about. It's not something we're always proud of, but we've all had moments where maybe we've not acted in our best etiquette and it was up to me to sort of like learn from my mistakes. And it took, it took, it genuinely took someone calling me out on it. And it really upset me, but not because I was upset because I've been called out. I was upset that I'd made someone feel bad. And since then, I've really tried to sort of work on making sure that no matter what, we're always having a fun game, lose or win. That's very commendable. And definitely like part of where we try to do the same exact thing. Like it's a game at the end of the day. Is this like getting salty about like you rolled bad, Mortarian died, and now this game is over and you just kind of ruined your mood with it? Or is this like, a, what kind of salt are we talking about here? Um, it depends. Sometimes it was like that. Other times it's when... I've been uh, at first before because obviously I play Death Guard and obviously Death Guard has a bit of a a bit of a habit of being on the lower power spectrum and especially when some new stuff comes out and it was really terrible and like you know like release Harlequins or something it just it was kind of like um it, it was frustration of being like so it's okay for my army to be in this state for this long but then that releases like that which is a dumb comparison it, it, it you should never compare and I think that's some the community of Death Guard is a little bit guilty of at the moment. We compare too much to stuff that's clearly problematic and will be fixed. And I did it. And don't get me wrong, but it's a bad it's a bad way to look at it, if that makes sense. Like, don't compare current Death Guard to, like, previous nerf Triple Wraith Knight, because it's just a silly comparison that's never going to make you feel good. Um, so it was that kind of assault where it was just it was just a bit of everything, really. You know, oh, I've had a bad game. I've, I've rolled a bit bad. Or, you know, oh, I'm just going to start blaming my army's power level and whatnot. Whereas in reality, there's probably like a million other decisions I could have made to make that game closer. Um, but I, I'm working on it. I'm getting better. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and I, I'm all for that. So you play in Death Guard and you talk about how you change your play style based on your opponent. And that makes sense to me because different people approach the game different ways and different armies require you to do different things, et cetera, et cetera. But Death Guard don't really strike me as an army that can adapt its play style too effectively. It's like a move five, now move four kind of faction. And 
it needs to go to the objectives and set up camp. At least that's always how I've always viewed it. I'll admit my win record with Death Guard is nowhere close to yours. So, you know, teach me some stuff here. Um, how do you actually adapt your play with an army that this is that is this slow? Okay, so I definitely think you're right. There is only certain, and this is the thing I've always said with Death Guard, and one thing like I wish you could change with Death Guard, which I actually think is a little better with the new system. It's not, I don't remember, the current index is flawed, but um, there is some interesting bits in it. And that's the obviously the ability to, to impact the game. There's the decisions to be made. And we we talked last time I was on about how Eldar can at any point flip, you know, the presence on the board to the other side, etc. of the speed. Death Guard can't do that, and you are right. But it's stuff such as um so for example, do you need to obviously you're not an army that can just get tempo out of nowhere. So it's a question of Am I against an army such as, let's say, Gene Silicles, which are very tempo-based? Like, once Gene Silicles get the upper hand on you, it's very hard to claw it back. Um, so do you, in that in that game, for example, do you not sit the play burst crawls back? Do you start rushing them forward and flamers and trying to steal the momentum from under him first and trying to get that strong board presence first and trying to, you know, set up the area how you want it to be? Or, in a different game, for example, when you're against, let's say, beta strike or alpha strike marines he's put a lot of stuff in reserve do you now have to push out for a different reason so you're pushing out now not to take tempo but just to take ground to sort of protect your your plague burst core and your mortarian core so that they can start ramping up the slow value over the all five turns of the game or do you have to do another strategy entirely like versus knights where it's literally backline it because if they get on top of you it's game over and just try and take at least one big one down before they start closing in and then play stuff from strategic reserves deep strike start just focusing pure the on mission once you've drawn them all in because their backfield's now quite empty um it's kind of decisions like that which are more it's more about planning it pre-game rather than reactive if that makes sense it, it absolutely does and i always when i teach death guard and when i talk about the slower factions it's very much you have to walk into the game knowing what your plan is and then execute that plan because you're not going to deviating turn by turn by turn something like eldar could move 20 inches and just adapt you could not so I kind of always assumed that it would just be as simple as like stand on whichever objectives are easiest and kind of set up camp and then attack wherever you're able. But it sounds like there's a lot more to it in terms of cause and effect. If I put stuff in reserve, my opponent has to act differently. If I can lure them this way, then maybe I can deep strike with rapid ingress in the backfield. You're setting up like potential plays for yourself as the game goes on, which I'm super interested in seeing how you do tactically in, in detail, matchup by matchup by matchup, which is what we're going to cover in part two. But more on like how you develop this as a playstyle as a person. What would you even say your playstyle is? Um, I think it's oh god, that's like that is a really hard question to answer. To be honest, I think it's not traditional Death Guard. It's definitely not sort of you know go stand at a point, hope your durability carries the day. Um, there was a point you could do that. It was called Armor Contempt, and it was glorious. These <laughs> 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 games have ever played that. You could just sit in cover and basically ignore two AP all the time. Yep, that's fine with me. Unfortunately, not the case anymore, especially now in uh, 10th with Death Guard losing minus one damage and a lot of durability elsewhere. Um, they are at their least durable they've ever been, and it definitely can tell when you're playing that. So I think the the way I approach it, sort of, it, it's it's very methodical like stuff set out and it has to sort of the cards have to fall into place but i've always got to make sure that if the card doesn't you know I don't, the card doesn't fall into place that there is a secondary backup route to take and um, so it's more methodical at the moment it's more i'm not going to wing this it's very clear like if i'm thinking about cause in the uk apparently it's not much of a thing in the us from what i've been told you don't get pairings a couple of days early for at least the first round 
Um, in the UK, we tend to do that. I'm not, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do in the US. I oh, know in the US, you get pairings when round one starts. Yeah, that's what I mean. Over here, we get we get our first pairing like two days early, and um, so you have a bit more time to plan. Um, so it's, that'll be a good example to talk about in the second half is how I planned for the first game because it was Imperial Knights, which is the, the bane of my existence. Oh, <laughs> the that's an easy I... one. They're not even that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll go this with is, that. But this is also pre-points nerf snipers, right? So you get, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was, wasn't, wasn't pleasant, but it's sort of like, I'd say it's more of a methodical game plan. It's quite... It's definitely the moment it's very mission focused. It is very, very mission focused. It's not table my opponent. It's very play play out all five turns, score what we can, surgically remove the things that can actually threaten us. And hopefully by the end we've scored enough and took away enough of their teeth that we can sort of then start playing with Mortarion later on. Sounds like you should play Gene Steeler Cult. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered. It sounds very cool that army and it does look yeah. very fun, but <laughs> if I had it's a play- very expensive army. <laughs> <laughs> that's also true it's also true you should check out our sponsor work by that's a that's a cool answer to the play style how did you develop that over time is this kind of t- tied back into your upbringing where you're just like getting your ass kicked in these games with your death guard and you're trying to like learn how to like critically evaluate essentially how to adjust things and then through it like uncountable number of reps i assume at this point you just learned the game yeah so it kind of comes down to sort of like my play group as well um we have a very nice mix but there was one the one one person specifically um who helped me get into comp a lot and well give me confidence to go into comp i'd say as my friend uh, david irvin and he plays lists that are horrendous they don't he just wants to table people he's a monster he's honestly he's his record against me was i didn't get a turn <laughs> like jack. oh my god just tabled me out here on turn two i'm like jack we're trying to play a five turn game on stream yeah i was on i was well, this was back when it was games workshop and he came in and he brought triple tau tiger sharks um but, well, this is back in like index hammer of eights and he had triple of them and at this point they we had the riptide profile for the app for the burst cannons not the nerfed version that they were meant to have um and i was playing i actually was playing chaos demons at this point uh not just death guard um because i was painting on my death guard at this point obviously eight had just come out and death guard just got so like the standalone release so i was still working on painting them up i was a demon player prior to that in seventh and um he got first turn he flew over and he basically killed everything but a single lot of change on turn one so i was like huh Deploying in the open and every unit on the board might not always be a good idea. <laughs> and it was just from experiences from games like those where, because at first I was guilty of sort of the traditional Death Guard play style of just go and stand on a point. And then people that I play with my local group, just they, they, they have armies that hit so hard. And it just, again, he just started to realize, all right, this doesn't work. We really got to mix it up and we we're going to start playing a bit differently. And, um, I think that's where it started coming into my head to like just start, you know, focusing on mission a lot more. Like, okay, cultists aren't exactly the most exciting unit in the world, but what do they do? They play mission really well. They're really cheap. Then they're really expendable, and stuff like that started becoming a lot more valuable. Um, and plague burst cores, I've always loved them. I've always took them, even when they were back in ninth and they weren't hitting as great out of line of sight, and um, because you couldn't ignore it and stuff with Marty. Um, still loved them because it's a, it's a it's a tool like having an, an ignore line of sight piece in your army is something that not every army can say I have. And when you start putting the rounds into people, it kind of puts pressure on them to move and make something happen. 
And when your opponent's running at you, your speed as death guard is less important. That is so fascinating. I don't even know where to start in terms of how you actually play the mission with an army like death guard. Like when I think of playing the mission armies, I'm thinking of literally gene stealer cult because they can just deep strike wherever they want. Demons, Eldar, those armies that are ridiculously fast or Necrons who just sit on primary and are actually resilient, you know? So the oh, fact well, I learned that one. <laughs> 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 not trying to rub salt in the wound, Death Guard fans. Yeah, just call him, call him as I sees it. Um, crypto for all. <laughs> crypto, the crypto, what are crypto for all? How is that okay? <laughs> How is that? What are they thinking? Oh, so, um, I don't know. I'm kind of speechless just that you're able to make this work. Usually we, we spend a little more time in part one getting to know you, but honestly, you're so tied in with your Death Guard army that I just want to I don't want to get into the good stuff. So I think we're going to wrap it up here unless the actually no, let me let me pause that thought. We'll wrap it up in like five minutes and we're going to head over to part two and talk about how this list operates. First, Aiden, if there was a piece of advice you can give any Warhammer player to try to get better, what would it be? Um, poor. A- any advice? Honestly, it would be <laughs> ignore the masses of the internet. Play always play just what you enjoy. Um, don't if and that, that applies if if chasing them and playing the strongest army is what you enjoy, do that as well. But if there's a faction like I have with Death Guard, just just play it. Naturally, you will get better over time. Play the hard matchups. Don't be afraid to get you know beaten a lot. And but every time, try your best not to to blame rules, to blame dice, because I don't get me wrong. Sometimes you are you come up against a, a codex or a list that you just can't deal with, and maybe it wasn't. But then start thinking about how could I have at least scored better in this loss, and just honestly, just keep practicing, and always just remember it's it is it is a game at the end of the day. Power always changes between armies. Play just what you enjoy because you're more likely to actually want to learn. Um, reach out to other players with the same positive attitude. I wouldn't really interact with people who just have a negative downbeat attitude because it is contagious. And when you start getting in that attitude, you you lose gains before you even start them. So interact with those who are also positive, trying to make something work, even if what they're trying to work with is considered bad. Just, just go at it. Try your best because at the end of the day, if you start beating people with worse armies then you're actually probably learning faster than if you were to just take a, a strong army and go around seal clubbing people if that makes sense it makes perfect sense it's a great answer and i really think you kind of solidified the fact that you are a like descendant of nurgle himself i mean you <laughs> use the word contagion casually in a in a conversation contagious and you're jolly i mean you're really spreading good cheer with this podcast episode about how you should have a great attitude and just you know tenacity to get better and don't be discouraged it's just a game don't be afraid of the top matchups like it's such a positive vibe and it's contagious and it's infectious it's all those nurgle words so <laughs> be a jolly nurgling yay <laughs> you know what i just realized as well we've not properly covered your list from top to bottom so that's a good we, fair point <laughs> yeah why don't we uh start from top finish it off there and then we're gonna head over to part two everybody aow40k.com where you can get access to the breakdown on how all of this good stuff works all right so you're to go through it then go through it okay so basically the core of the list is built around um mortarian a lot of Ireland's earned free plague burst crawlers. That's sort of like the core um, of this list. I think everything else in this else in this list can be built around and messed with, but I think that's the the core to the list. So um, basically, the, just quickly on the plague burst crawlers, I think you can take any of the side weapons and um, sort of 
think about sort of the armies you're facing your local meta. If you've got a lot of infantry, like Gene Steeler cults, etc., consider the flamers. They're really, really good. Uh, if you're just against knights all the time, obviously go for the entropy cannons. Both are fine. Obviously, it's sad the entropy's lost some, some range and whatnot, but it's, it's an okay weapon. Um, Mortarion is pivotal to this because of his aura that lets him basically ignore well, any Death Guard unit within six inches of him, can ignore all modifiers. So when you're shooting out of line of sight, you ignore the minus one to hit. Uh, they do get cover, though. You can't do the ignore cover thing, but that's what a lot of virulence is for. <laughs> you also get to ignore anything such as, as clarified by the GW Designer documentary, um, any weapon statistics count as part of your model's characteristics. So you also get to ignore stuff like damage reduction. So if you have a like Knight Warden giving you know Armagus minus one damage to them and himself, nope, your mortals are still doing flat two to them as long as you're near Mortarian. Do they have Armor of Contempt? Nope, because the word in Armor of Contempt reduces your AP characteristic by one. Doesn't give them an extra save or anything like that. Therefore, you can ignore that. Um, so Mortarian basically gonna, is already there giving extra value to the player because he's essentially giving them plus one to hit to negate the minus one. And he's breaking through any of those defensive abilities people can put on him. Again, no lightning fast reactions, no anything like that. Mortarian then can also give them real ones to wound in an aura. Um, he also can give cover, but I'm, I'm sure anyone that's played 10th at this point, you know how easy cover is to get, especially on vehicles. Um, you know, you, you put a tiny bit of your track behind terrain. Cover! <laughs> Mortarian slight wing behind terrain. Cover. So, because everyone was raving about that aura, and it is good. It is a good aura, but then when you actually play the game, covers everywhere. So you're always going to pick the real ones to wound. So again, you're just trying to pump as much efficiency into these plague burst mortars as, as possible, and they're going to become your scalpel. So they're going to help you remove the things that you need to start winning the game. Turn three, four, five. Um, Mortarian's also a really good person to just hang around Plague Burst Crawls because people don't really want to come near him. I know he's not as killy as he used to be, but I'm, I'm pretty sure people aren't happy to have a unit go near Mortarian at any point. Right. <laughs> uh, um, so a, a comp helping them out is the Lord of Virulence. The Lord of Virulence obviously has his ability where any target that he can draw a line of sight to, your entire army, if you shoot a blast weapon, which obviously all the Plague Burst Mortars are, will ignore cover against that target and also get plus one to hit. So you can effectively, from out of line of sight, Mortarian ignores the negative one, he adds plus one, and now you ignore cover. So you have 9d6 plus 9 minimum, sorry, 3d6 plus 9, that would have been crazy. <laughs> 3d6 plus 9 minimum shots, hitting on twos, ignoring cover, and rerolling ones to wound at strength 8, AP 1, 2 damage. It, it's... It, Starts adding up, especially if you're against stuff like Desolation Marines, you can pick them up relatively quickly. Um, everything part of that, that's your core, is sort of you can mess around with. So I've gone for a Death Guard Sorcerer and Terminator Armor, because for 80 points, I think he's a bit a bit ridiculous. Um, he has Plague Fist and Plague Commibolt, but his spell is very interesting. So it's only 2d6 shots, strength 6, AP 1, two, one damage. But once per game, you can supercharge his spell and make it into strength 8 AP2 free damage, um, which is surprisingly scarier than you think, especially if you get into juicy units that have free wounds, like, or you know, stuff like Windrider bikes. Um, which, so I wonder why I use that example. <laughs> um, custodians, anything like that. Um, it's really powerful ability, and usually in that one activation, he can normally make his points back up right there and then, as well as providing the squad he's with minus one damage in close combat. So, very nice. Um, we have two five-man... Plague Marine units. Um, 
any weapons you can put on these, really. I went for Melter, Blight Launcher, then three Heavy Plague weapons. These are going to sit in a Rhino, and these are 100% just to play mission and just to play objectives. You're not going to use them really offensively. Obviously, you get a chance to do it. Don't get me wrong. If you go, you know, if you pass by five intercessors, feel free to pick them up as you pass but go. <laughs> but they're mainly there to be able to be droven out 12 in the Rhino, dropped out three, and then do an action such as like investigate signals in a corner or cleanse onto an objective, or even just to steal primary if you if you know it's going to be a close game, driving out 12, dropping them onto a point with their OC 10 just to deny some primary. Um, that's that's a fine shout as well. Um, but yeah, they're not there to do any killing or to be like standing on open in, in objectives. Um, they are there to, to play your mission for you. Then we have uh, two units of cultists, which I think are actually really good in, in uh, Death Guard. So the weird thing is Death Guard cultists get scout move of six inches. Um, on certain deployments and certain mission in modifiers, like um, I can't remember which ones, where you make you push the middle objective towards a corner and make another one. I can't remember if it's like hidden supplies or something. Yeah, I think um, that's hidden supplies. Yeah, you can, and other missions where it's a central objective and you have to deploy six away, because obviously the objective mark is 40 mil, it means the scout move can get you onto an objective in multiple missions. And the Death Guard special rule is if you control objective at the start of the command phase, it gets locked in as sticky infected. So a lot of the games you can deploy on the op in the open next to a building. And then if you get first turn, you can scout move onto it. Your turn begins, command phase, it's now locked in sticky, and then you can use their movement then to either go and run onto another objective, run into the opponent for boil blight plays, or just run back behind a wall to safety. Um, it's a very, very versatile. Also, if there's no good option like that, you can always just chuck them in strat reserves because it's 55 points. Uh, then we have two units Death Shroud Terminators. Um, I like these. They're not the melee powerhouses they used to be, especially versus vehicles, but... They have a lot of anti-infantry flamers, the minus one to wound against anything that's strength higher than them, and innately deep strike, and it's a three-man unit of a character, so they don't have a massive footprint. <clears throat> so don't be afraid to use these for either offense, defense. Um, sometimes I'll bring them in just if they're getting pushed, just to protect a back line. You can bring them in do with rapid ingress. Rapid ingress plays are quite really good with Death Guard, especially because we only move four, so you can obviously then get a five-inch charge the next turn. Don't be afraid to teleport in to just do an action. Again, if, if again, always focus on the mission. If you have something like <clears throat> investigate signals and you're on turn four or five, you know, well, you can't teleport four or five, obviously, but if you've not drawn it, maybe you want to just be in that corner for engage or something like that. Don't be afraid to put them in somewhere maybe suboptimal as long as it's going to start scoring your points. Um, because also they just control an area really well versus infantry because you have overwatch is obviously a lot scarier when you're packing a load of flamers and um, i played against gsc and there was plenty of times where he wanted to come in and there's just nowhere he could basically move because if he did he'd eat four d6 plus a lot of virulences d6 flamers full rolls to wound anti-infantry four plus it just pick them up instantly um so they're really nice utility uh, and then last but not least we have 20 pox walkers with typhus who actually People always assume I start him on the board and walk him up. I I rarely do that. Um, one Typhus is apparently now a Vindicare assassin with his, uh, his spell, and he just likes to snipe lone ops because it's not a shooting attack. It's just picking an enemy unit in 18 in the shooting phase, so it ignores lone operator, and you just basically on a two-up do D6 mortal wounds to them. So I've had him pick up Vindicares, um, you know, a Shadow Sun he's picked up, um, Death Jesters, etc. <clears throat> 
So he's very, especially Gene Steel cult characters, a lot of them are only four wounds. <laughs> so you can pick up quite a lot, um, saboteurs, etc. Also, he's really good from reserves because basically, again, if we talk about the playbus calls being scalpels, if you can manage to remove a quarter of a board's anti-infantry firepower, and then you could bring in Typhus from that board edge, and there's not much that can deal with him. Typhus with 20 pocks, that's regenerating because of his spell or his melee kills regenerate, can really quickly just take over a quarter of the board and basically be untouchable. And at that point, once he's down and he's on a point and the, all the anti-infantry's dead, you can then make a choice to start pushing further in. Also, just hold that. Because, again, if he stays in that quarter, he can score any secondary you get, engage, teleport homes, etc. Or he can just hold the objective, just protect it. Uh, but if you need him to push forward, don't be afraid to advance. Because, again, you can still do his spell even if you've advanced. He's just a really nice piece, basically, once the anti-infantry and anti-hordes gone. He's just a pain to remove. Um, but yeah, that that is the entire thing. <laughs> it's wow. a bit of an odd one. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, just hearing you kind of talk about the whys you made all your choices is is like fascinating because almost none of it, aside from like shoot indirect papers crawlers, is conventional in usage. So I'm really excited to break this down further in part two, getting to know like how you come up with your macro level strategy plans, like baiting people and reserving things effectively. Like people have screens. How are you pulling this off? So we're going to find out in part two. Subscribers, you can check it out on AOW40K.com. That's our Patreon. Really appreciate your support. This is episode 197. So literally the reason we can produce the show is because of the support and love you guys give us. So thank you so much. Um, we'll see you in part two. Aiden, you've been an awesome guest. It's a pleasure having you on yet again to talk about Death Guard. Mind-blowing stuff as always. We'll see you. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.